0: This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Most of you are aware that the bulk of our research work is with larger firms. We do a lot of work in financial services, as you've probably already picked up on from the episodes, as well as from our other show called the AI and Financial Services Podcast. But it is large companies that are the bulk of our research work. But over the course of 2020, we did get more into one-to-one work with AI consultants and AI advisors. Some of these people actually work within large organizations. Some are, most are consultants outside of organizations, but they have one thing in common. They have to be able to find AI opportunities and they have to be able to make the business case. They have to communicate ROI, not in a sneaky way, but in a way that's clear, in a way that balances both near-term and long-term benefits of AI. And that program is called Catalyst. You can learn more at emerj.com slash Catalyst. You can see some quotes from some of our current members as well as the curriculum and the topics that we cover with that small exclusive group of AI consultants and advisors that we work with on Catalyst. I know that ROI is one of the major topics we discuss there because everybody who has to make the business case for AI has to be able to mold and shape how ROI clicks with the executives that they're speaking to. And our guest this week has done a lot of that over the course of his career since before machine learning was cool. Dr. Charles Martin is someone who I consider a bit of an advisor here at Emerge, someone who's been with us and advising me for maybe three years around artificial intelligence trends, helped me prepared for speeches and been a great guest and a great guide, and he's someone who really can speak with uh, no holds barred when it comes to the real challenges of AI adoption and the challenges of making AI ROI click. So Charles shares his ideas for what holds leaders back what holds advisors back from conveying ROI properly, and what people can do to step up to that plate when they're speaking to executive leadership to make ROI clear, but also be realistic about expectations, not oversell AI. Walking that that fine line is a really, really delicate thing to do, but doing it right means succeeding as a consultant and helping your clients succeed as well. And If you're an internal leader, like a head of innovation or a head of strategy, then these same tips and details are going to be useful for you as well. Again, if you're interested in the Catalyst program, specifically if you are a consultant, a vendor, or an outside advisor, check out emerj.com slash catalyst, just the way it sounds, and you can learn more about the program and potentially apply for that small and exclusive group that we work with one-to-one. Without further ado, this is Charles Martin speaking with us about conveying the ROI of AI to leadership here on the AI and Business podcast. So Charles, we're going to talk about the ROI of AI. I brought you on actually for our first series ever on this theme when we're first kind of doing a short series on it. And I want to talk to you today about first the what we refer to as measurable ROI. So kind of those meaningful financial numbers we can move. We're saving money, we're making money. Maybe, maybe some of it's not financial, but it's going to eventually tie to business bottom line, customer service rating, something like that. When you go into a project, client often has an idea of how they want to measure the project may or may not be a very good measuring stick. What do you do when you're assessing what your goal is, what the project is and determining how are we going to hold ourselves accountable? How, what needles are we going to move? How do you do that intelligently? Cause I know there's so many more ways to get it wrong than right.
1: Okay. That's a great question because a lot of companies are very metrics driven now. And sometimes they, they just make up metrics or they have a metric, which they think is correlated somehow with performance or revenue or cost reduction frequently they may have multiple metrics you know in complex projects they're not really sure what the metric should be and you might go in and they might say to you you know you you don't want to be too tied in to a specific quantitative metric you know like like i have to uh, reduce cost reduction by 90 percent or you know well yeah of course that would be ridiculous but yeah i know what you mean no, I mean, you know, if you work in the aerospace industry, you know, like I have friends who, they have a metric. Look, this thing has to operate within 30 milliseconds. It's a line, but it's it's fly-by-wire. But, you know, most of us aren't in that space. And, and I think that, you you know, your goal is, you know, always if you can, the goal is revenue. Either you're either bringing revenue in or you're bringing cost down or some some direct measurement. Yeah. The most ideal projects, you know, what I've worked on have been ones in things like computational advertising. Or some web interaction or a search product where, you know, you can increase click-through rates by 15%, or you can increase revenue by 30%, or we have one where you increase revenue by 500%. And it, believe it or not, even when you do that, there can be problems. You know, you can you can grow so fast, things fall apart. But I, I think that's, you know, you have to come up with something that, that everyone can agree upon that, look, this is some reasonable thing of what you're trying to achieve. And you got to be careful because sometimes you get into the project and you find out that it's the wrong metric
0: yeah that's that's the issue isn't it do, do you do you have to come up with a small portfolio of potential ideas by talking to a number of different stakeholders and saying how are we going to measure this and then over the course of your initial sandboxing piloting you start to funnel 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 that down to the ones you're really going to hold yourself accountable to how do you You know, how do you, how do you make sure you don't hit the wrong
1: one? It's usually the opposite. Usually someone comes to you and they've already predefined what their metrics are in their group. You're working with a line manager. You're working with a VP, you know, unless you're working directly with the the executive team, people probably already have defined their metrics for the year. This is their budget. These are the metrics. These are the targets they are trying to hit. And they're bringing you in because they are hoping to do something. Usually they bring in because they haven't met their, they haven't met their mark. You know, they may bring you in because they haven't met their mark, and they need you to help them meet it. Or, you know, it's the beginning of a new year, and they're they, you know, they've laid this out for the year, and so these are the metrics. But typically, um, at least in many of the good organizations I've been in, the VPs, the directors, they they have already predefined the metrics that they want. Isn't
0: that dangerous, Charles? Because you know, often they're going to say, "Well, you know, we want to have this kind of recommendation engine, and here's how we're going to measure it." But as it turns out the right barometer that's going to ultimately tie to what you want here Mr. Buyer which is efficiencies it would be much more efficient for us to track this because we we can you know we can get a better baseline of it today we we can more accurately attribute it to our changes in the future you know like do you have to push back
1: look you have to understand where they're coming from why do they want that metric if if they've signed off to a budget and they've agreed that their bonus is tied to that metric <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, yeah, you're not going to change it. Yeah, you know, right? yeah, yeah. So you got to yeah.
1: under, understand why they want it. And look, sometimes when people, you ask somebody why, we've had cases where you ask somebody why you want to do something and they, you know, they just freak out on you. You know, don't ask me why. I you, I tell you, yeah, I've had cases like this with people who are like this. Well, high stress finance in particular, people can be very high strong, but you have to have some understanding of why they want it. Look, you know, there, there are cases where, look, the classic example is you have a recommender and you just keep recommending the same thing over and over and over to the same customers. And what happens is the system just becomes very, very stale and customers start to leave. And so what you find is that while maybe revenue is going up, your churn rates might be going up also. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Okay. So there are in, – in, in economic parlance, we call this an externality that you've optimized for a specific metric. And that caused some sort of negative externality, which will eventually cause the system to collapse. And that happens in particular. Look, this is what this all this stuff about, you know, I mean, the Facebook recommender and the social media and the fact that it draws people into these bubbles and they just keep seeing the same information yeah. over and over yeah. and it polarizes society. Yeah. The same thing happens in a company that you pick a metric and it starts, you start basically you're treating your customers, you, you stop gaining customers, or your churn rates go up, you know, something happens, but it doesn't affect you in the metric that you're working on. So th- this is complicated. This is part of why these AI algorithmic systems are complicated, because typically in an enterprise... You know the individual line managers, VPs, directors—they have their own metrics they have to meet. You know they've made a decision. This is how the company is structured. These are their metrics. This is how their bonuses. If they don't meet this at the end of the year, there's a performance review. They look at the end of the year and say, "What metrics did you say you were going to meet?" And if you didn't meet them, well, you have a problem.
0: Yeah. So you've got to understand why they they have the metric in place, and you. It sounds like often you're just going to have to be willing to find a way to work with that, even if it's not your favorite metric. But maybe sometimes, Charles, if you know ultimately they're looking for cost savings for this reason, you might be able to say, okay, Mr. Buyer, I know you want to save costs. Let's have cost savings in something we're estimating, but let's measure by these proxies, which are directly under our control for this project, so that we can really get a sense of how well it's going. So maybe you have some wiggle, like ultimately they're going to be locked to this one metric. Sometimes it's not great, but they're locked to it. But you're going to have some wiggle sometimes? Is that is that safe to say? When you If you have context on the goal, you, you can maybe add some ancillary metrics, control for some externalities, find I, some know,
1: it, it, it depends who you're talking to. You know? <laughs> yeah. Not everybody knows what a statistical proxy is. So yeah. look, uh, the, if you have a proxy, then you'll meet the metric anyway. Look, it, it is – in the end, you're talking about people and their bonuses, right? So people are highly attuned to what their incentives are. And your role is to help them meet those incentives. Now, if they come to you, if they tip frequently, you know, there's some technical detail which is different, you're gonna have to make the case. Look, we've been in situations where we have BPs who said, look, you know, we're meeting our metrics, but we know long term this is not healthy for the company. And they're trying to present this case. Why are they trying to present that case? Well, they want to do something different. Ultimately, you need a champion for anything you do you go into an organization, the person you're working with is the champion and you're there to help them run the race. And if you really feel that something is wrong, you need to make them your champion and you need to convince them, not just because it's wrong for your project, but it's wrong for them long-term. Yeah. And if, okay. if they believe that, then they have to feel that they can champion this cause. And and this is something that, you know, frequently they, they may already know this, you know, it, it, it's you know, look, I've had cases where I go and I, Tell people, you know, look, what are you doing? You're working at a company. You say, you know, uh, you've got click bot traffic. You got bot traffic. You got a lot of bot traffic. That's a problem, you know. <laughs> you know, bot traffic means, you know, you're, you know, if you're in a, if you're running computational advertising, you've got bot traffic. It means you're, you're not selling what you think you're selling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're not selling real human. So that's that's a, that's
1: right. a yeah, that, that's a great case where I've been in that situation where, you know, oh no, 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 we don't have bot traffic. And you look, you've got bot traffic. Think about what you're telling them. You're telling them that, hey, you know, you you sold, you know, twenty percent of what you're selling isn't real. That's not something you want to bring up in an open meeting. We gotta deal with this. So that's a classic example. That that's your number one. Yeah, you, know, you, you met your click stream, you you got your clicks, but the clicks aren't real. It's just part of the game, so, right? So I mean you people, have you know, people
0: in their bonuses, Charles. People in their bonuses. So you just have to think through that lens and kind of accept, look, if bonuses are tied to X, ultimately you've gotta be able to just you know, lock yourself into to whatever that X is, and do your best to deliver on it. Yeah, because you can't can't, yeah, look, can't you're fight people's incentives. People, yeah.
1: Obviously, you don't want to come to the end of the year and everyone gets fired. You know. Yeah. You know, you are there to help them. You know, but you have to be aware that you're not. You know, the reason metrics are set and what their performance goals are, you know, you, you do have to be aware of that because you can't just throw that aside and say, well, you know, whatever you told people you were going to do three months ago, we're going to have to throw that all out the door and do something new because I have, you know, you, you can't do that. If, if you do that, that's a difficult conversation. That's not the same conversation as, Hey, I have a statistical proxy for what you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Right. That That's just, ah, oh, I'm doing some nerd thing. And this is some nerdy stuff and don't worry, it'll give you what you need. Uh, let me, so don't let me, worry about, the, you know.
0: Yeah, let me ask you in a slightly different way and then we'll get into the, you know, the, the other considerations outside of what, what we often refer to as the the measurable ROI. But when it comes to these measurable barometers, oh, well, you know, call center hours per X or overall expenditure on Y or, you know, cart value for user type Z, whatever. Whatever that metric is, when, when you come in and they've got an idea of that, Would you say 80% of the time that's just going to be the darn metric you're running with? Or would you say that, you know, X percent of the time you kind of wrestle and change that metric on the way in? Or sometimes, as you brought up, you find out on the back end, this metric is absolutely not going to measure what we're doing. How often are you varying from the prescribed, often misguided, here's the barometer we're going with how, how how often are you breaking from that in a project you know
1: i would say that what happens is these things get tied to the project outset so someone says okay i want to try to predict i have a bunch of chemicals and i want to predict their accuracy to within this amount using these methods and you're like okay that seems reasonable right you're you're trying to design a system to predict chemical accuracy and then you find out that the models don't work at all <laughs> oh there's something wrong you know like there's something wrong with the data and so, it, it, you know, in the metric side, you know, frequently, you know, when it's something that technical, when, it, when it's something very, very technical, and it's simple to optimize, that's eh, an optimization problem. And then frequently, you can just do that. So frequently, it's not the metric in those cases that's wrong, but that the whole problem itself is malformed. Yeah. Like there's something wrong with the data or you just, it's the, the you know, or, you know, you're trying to predict something. It's just not predictable. I'm like, I, I can't predict this. You know, it's not the metric is wrong. It's just this is not predictable. This is not something you can predict. So I can't help you. Yeah. Or you know, I predicted, it, but it turns out that the prediction is really bad. <laughs> the, the data, you know, and and I think that you know, you can't optimize a function that's flat. You know, if there's no juice in the orange, there's nothing to squeeze. So that's the problem. So I, I think usually though, when you talk about these kinds of broad level metrics, it's more I think a more common case in an enterprise might be you know you're trying to do some You have like a search engine, and you're trying to understand search performance. And the problem is that you might have 25 different types of use cases you're dealing with. Every use case represents a different way the user uses your system. And you're trying to measure all those users with a single metric. And what happens is that, well, really what you have are 20 different use cases, all of which have to be evaluated differently. And that's very complicated. So you have a very complicated business with lots of things going on. Users are doing different things. Your system's just kind of working. It's been hacked together over many years by lots of different people. And now you're trying to just get a single number out of it. And usually that number is just revenue. But frequently those numbers just look. I mean, it, look, this, this is almost a problem in revenue recovery in an in accounting practice that you're trying to discover where's your revenue coming from, and you don't know. In a large organization with lots of things going on, revenue recovery is actually a big deal. And so, if you're, it's the same thing in any kind of complex system where there are lots of users doing different things. You know, they, they just, you may need to, you know, the, the reason one user is looking for something, maybe, you know, someone's buying milk and they buy milk every week. And the metric you want is how many times did they buy the milk, right? It's a repeat buyer. And then you have other users who come in and you know you're rec- you want to recommend something to them and you know they're they're buying hot dogs and so you want to recommend ketchup and so there are the the balance is you know you're not going to keep rec- so sometimes you know the recommender should just repeat the same thing over and over and over because it's what you need every week and sometimes it should have variety that's just a very simple example of you know in in ai systems or simple recommender systems how you have totally different metrics even though they're both recommenders if you look, and 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 as the systems get larger and more complex, and you have more customers and different kinds of customers, and you have different kinds of sales processes used and different kinds of offers they've been given, it's difficult to pull everybody into one metric.
0: And Are you often the one that has to break this to them? Hey, look, you know it's gonna be really wonky for me to tell you how well I'm doing, and for me to know how well we're doing for your goals, Mister Buyer
1: if we adhere to this square peg Yeah. yeah, yeah you're, you're, yeah, you're basically telling them, you know, look, this is a very complicated problem. And what they hear is, Oh, you're trying to overbill me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. That's it's, what they hear. Well, they so, don't, so you know,
0: is, is it near impossible to bend these things in an enterprise environment? Or do you just need a look, lot look, of trust? It, you you,
1: you, you got to figure out where the loaf hanging fruit is. So you can get a win. You got to figure it out. Like, okay, I, I you got to talk to people. Look, uh, there's a but there's a metric they are trying to hit is there a way i can move the needle yeah and do, if you, i got yeah. i got 15 different people you i got 15 20 different kinds of users using this system is there some particular group of users that i understand well enough that i can make a change and move the needle yeah and make a change that doesn't screw it up for everybody else right and,
0: and, that's what you're doing and, and once you do that do you do you find once that, you do that, that at that point go they're going to trust you to make some additional suggestions
1: Right. Then you can go to the next and the next and the next. Absolutely. So you pick it off one by one. And it's a difficult thing because that's the reality of what happens is, you know, especially in these AI systems, right? Because we're talking about AI, you know, you're building a, a tool that recommends products to customers. You're trying to help customers search something. We had a case You're working on a search engine and the search engine they had, you know, for the, for a, a search engine for an expert network and Look, you know, there are different kind, you know, probably 10 or 15 different kinds of customers coming in, all of which have different needs. And you have to figure out, okay, which ones can you reliably fix this thing for to boost the numbers? And that's what they care about because at the end of the day, you have to go to the senior executives and go, we increased revenue by this much. Yeah. That's just where you are. You've got to figure out what fits into your metric, not so much. The other way, you know, if you make twenty-five different metrics, you're never going to get anywhere. You've got to put a square peg in a round hole. This
0: is this is part of the, the you know the, the rough reality of, of AI and the enterprise is that you know you've got to get the short-term wins to even open up the ability to build trust and crack things open in terms of hey, here's an application we should you know maybe be considering more more than this this other one or hey you know here's some measurements of success we should be using. So we've got to find this this low-hanging fruit. If almost all AI engagements are just focused on what's the shortest thing to to value, are we ultimately going to be, you know, our enterprise is really going to transform in five years if everything starts at what's the top surface level little darn thing that doesn't question the buyer's ideas, which are often misguided about how this thing needs to be measured. It feels like that makes progress really chip away and small and potentially surface level for, for quite some time in most enterprises. I mean, years and years maybe. It just feels like a downside from an industry level.
1: Look, I, I think that systems are complicated. And if you look at, you know, most enterprises are quite large. And they probably service lots of different kinds of customers with different needs. So you've got to figure out, you know, you're trying to improve performance on these different customers. And what's good for some is not good for others. And if you try to do a one size fits all, you might actually do a lot of damage. Because you might you might help 3 customers and hurt 5. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the game, you know, when you're trying to build complicated systems. Look, there are cases where Christian Claytonson Oh, Clayton Clay, Clay Christensen, yeah, regardless, Clayton yeah. Clay Christensen, yeah, 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 yeah. New when new technologies cause great firms to great firms to fail, right? Because you, the the firm has to focus on its primary customers, and when you're focused on your primary customers, you can't focus on the new ones. Yeah. So that's just how it is, and I think that you're trying to build generic systems that do something, but you know you're really digging into. You know, there's cases where you really have to dig into the details and figure out. Okay, look, this is really cost benefit. How much benefit do I get by boosting the revenue for this set of customers? Or how much does it cost to pay you? Yeah. Go I ahead. have cases with clients where, like, we do angel investing, right? So I have some very wealthy clients, they do, and I consult with them on try to help them on vet projects for angel investing. Now, they might come to me with a project like there's one in like nuclear fusion. And I said, look, if you're only going to put 50K into this thing, it doesn't matter. You don't have to pay me. Just give them the money and see what happens because it doesn't make any sense because, you know, I would take all the money just to figure out whether it's a good idea or not. You just give them the money, see what happens, right? I think people recognize this. Like, There there is a cost to doing this kind of research. Like, It is costly to do things. So you you have to figure out where you're going to spend the money and there is a case where you know you would like to have generic systems that work everywhere you know your your goal like when i was at ebay we we worked on the search engine platform i developed one of the first industries learned to rank systems we tried it out on digital cameras it worked on digital cameras then we were able to transfer it to different channels and the hope was that the same technical infrastructure could be used in different channels we have to train a new model in every channel digital cameras versus televisions versus, you know, iPhones, that kind of thing. But, you know, once you build it once, you just have to retrain all the different channels. It doesn't require completely new different algorithm in every channel. And, and I think that's where you're trying to get at is that, can I make a carve out where I can do something and prove that I can get a performance hit? And then can I replicate that again and again without having taking a financial hit to repeat the research? Yeah, yeah. Not always
0: possible, but I guess what you'd strive for. And, well I, and I kind of want to get into the what we could call sort of not measurable elements of of the return on investment of artificial intelligence, a lot of you know when we chat with vendors, Charles, you know whether it's big vendors that have you know worth a billion dollars or vendors that have maybe raised you know only 20 million or something like that, for the most part, they're brought in on projects because, hey, here's our expectation around what result we want to get to, and you know we want to plug you guys in, and, and we want to get to that result. There really isn't often an overt emphasis placed on, let's say, the, the, the longer-term strategic benefit of leveraging AI for this application versus IT, or... The, the lessons we're going to learn as a company when we implement AI in this sense because it's going to let us use AI for other things that will be helpful. You've told me, well, I, I know you went over our, our generating AI ROI report. You like the fact that there was emphasis on some of the non-measurable. I know you've told me that some of that you've seen as increasingly important with your client work over the last couple of years. How do you bring that in? Because I, I suspect, you know, Maybe some of the time they just want X result and they don't always want, you know, a learning benefit or a strategic benefit. Do you find yourself sometimes having to frame that and present that to them and almost, I hate to say, convince them in some sense that this is relevant?
1: No, no, it's actually the opposite. The good clients want mentoring. The good clients want mentoring. The good clients want knowledge transfer. And they want you to hang around for a while. You know, I mean, I had a client that I worked on and off for ten years. They want you there. The clients that just come to you and say, "This is a transaction," the who just want a transactional oh, yeah, yeah. relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, those I, usually don't end up well. Well,
0: that this is what I'm, this is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's, it's, don't you still have a lot of that in balance though?
1: No, no, it's actually changing. It, it, okay. It's more that because I, I I avoid transactional projects because transactional projects typically are. When, when you do a transactional project, it's, it's you know, what Peter Thiel says, you never want to be competitions for losers. Yeah, I don't want to be involved in the transaction game where I'm trying to just build products and ship them because I, I'm not venture funded. So from a consulting perspective, for me, I'm looking to develop that relationship with the client so that we can have a long-term relationship that I can, they can grow together. Heck, I even let one of them hire me at one point, but you know, they, then the CTO retired on me. You know, these things happen, but you want to have a consulting relationship is a long-term relationship. I, I always tell my clients, look, if you hire an employee, the employee will leave eventually, and they'll take all that knowledge with them. And they take everything with them, and you can and they can't actually consult for you anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, because
1: of, But as a consultant, I can work for you for 10 years. I can work with five other clients. I can come back and forth. There's no IP issues. There's no non-compete issues. I'm with you forever. So in fact... I think this is something that clients really misunderstand. They see consulting and contracting as transactional, but it's exactly the opposite. It's long-term. That's the whole point, is that you're developing a relationship with a client so you can be there with them two, three years from now if they want to do something new, so you can help them if they need help, so you can mentor their staff, you can help their staff develop. And, and moreover... You know, I I still talk to some of the staff guys who go out and find other projects and they might come to me and say, hey, uh, you know, this guy was such a great mentor. I'd like to bring him in again. So mentoring staff actually is good for you. There's an old saying in Silicon Valley, be nice to people on the way up. So they're nice to you on the way down. Yeah. Right. When you're on, when you're on the way up. So they're nice to you when you're on the way down.
0: As you've mentioned, the good clients are going to understand the value of learning. Uh, the clients that are purely transactional, probably not going to work out. Again, AI is not plug and play. It's very hard to just say, sure, I'll get you that result and then get out of town. It's, nah, that's not really it. And for you as a consultant, again, it's not necessarily the smartest thing either.
1: So good clients value learning. That's good. How about strategic value, Charles? Well, you know, sometimes, Z, yeah, I want to go into them. You can tell the difference. The ones who, Strategic is really, I mean, in some sense, a lot of what I do is tactical. Everybody has a strategy, but, you know, everyone wants to be a general. But you've got to be on the ground. You know, you've got to be a field commander. And a lot of the work we do is like being a field commander. You know, we are on the ground doing field mathematics. You know, we're on the ground making things happen. And. A lot of clients really don't. They may not want you involved in the strategy, unless you're specifically hiring you as a management consultant, strategy consultant. They they actually may push back on that. Yeah, you know they see it as you kind of stepping into their domain.
0: Well, let me know what you think about in this regard. I mean, if you get brought on, let's just say for Lord knows some some sort of you know whatever it is a, a search a search application or some fraud detection application. A lot of the time, I would presume they just sort of want X result. Great. We want less false positives for our fraud by a certain percentage, and that's going to equate to X number of millions you know, every quarter. And so, look, we think it's a realistic result. Come on in. But the fact of the matter is, if they have longer-term goals around customer experience, the investment in detecting fraud early and being able to have a, a better data infrastructure is going to potentially allow them to approve payments more quickly for customers moving forward. And so, if you could tie to that strategic benefit, it would seem like it would help your cause. It would help you expand into more projects and relationship with them. It would help validate the project even if it doesn't win immediately. It would help still validate an investment in you. And so it feels safer as a consultant and potentially more realistic if you can tie to those strategic anchors. Do you find it to be near impossible? To do that, because the level of trust required to actually access what their longer-term goals are is just too high. Do you find it to be
1: possible once you've once you've had some early wins? What, what are your thoughts on What what happens is that too many chefs spoil the soup. Yeah. So what I find is that the companies that do well with AI are the ones that understand that they have to become AI companies. Yep. And the ones that have trouble are the ones that either treat it transactionally or they think that it's just the same old thing they've been doing before. It's just software. It's just IT. And the the companies that really want to do it, do it. You know, we had a company in Slovenia, of all places. They're kind of like an IT vendor in Slovenia, big company, been around 15 years. And they brought me in as a a mentoring consultant to help them become an AI-centric company. They knew long-term, for them to survive, they have to stop being a software company and become an AI company. And so we started working with them on suggesting products that they could build. Now, strategically, what was the strategy decision? The strategy decision is very simple we want to become an ai company we want to be a company that builds ai products that's what we want to do that's their decision to do that that's their strategy and we're going to start building little product they they were very good at selling to teenagers, so they built like you know cartoon i like can you cartoonize your picture can you make an avatar can you so i started working with them proposing different kinds of products that they think they could sell to their customers or more effectively that they can market to the kinds of customers they market to. And they. Th- and then we started working with their staff and, you know, they themselves, they actually taught themselves AI. They took this fast AI class out here at university of San Francisco with my friend, Terrence Parr, who runs this and, They taught themselves neural networks, and I basically helped them build the products. We suggested different kind of products. We actually built a product that generated fake text. This is several years before – it's probably two or three years before the OpenAI GPT-3 model was released. So they, they made that decision themselves. And then I guess from a strategy perspective, I was helping them strategize what kind of products they could build. So I was doing product strategy, right, product strategy. But strategy, like in terms of the corporation, you know, that that's that's very high level. And, and they have to make – and the companies that I see that, that do this make the decision. We understand that we have to change, that we have to learn new things, and we're going to do it on our own, and we're going to bring you in to help us. The projects that always end up sour are the transactional projects.
0: Yeah, 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 because it's
1: unrealistic with AI oftentimes well because yeah there're always problems purely and nothing ever goes and yeah yeah and transactional projects always become only about the bottom line so they're always trying to squeeze it, it becomes problems with timelines and getting things done as, as if it's as budget. if it's it
0: as if it's it
1: right whatever. and yeah. and the projects that have been when I mean, you can work with someone, typically what you're doing is you're working with someone in the company, either the founders or even an a VP who says, look, I want to start building AI products. Help me figure out what kind of AI products to build. And strategy works great until, but it doesn't work when other people come in and decide, well, this, you're just an outside person and we just want you to build this for us. I'm like, well, you know, that doesn't work. And if, you, if that were to work, we wouldn't be having these discussions about the nine out of ten AI projects, yeah, right that, that never go anywhere because you know people have gotten used. So product strategy is very important. I think product strategy you do you help them decide what kind of products they want to build. Global strategy is really it. They it has to be from the company a good match from, from the company yeah, yeah yeah. And a lot of companies now understand. Look, we need we hired staff. You can't just hire staff and not mentor them and train them. You know, in three years, it'll be obsolete. Well, you know, just keep hiring and firing people all the time.
0: Yeah. So you know, you,
1: you can't do that because, you know, you, you can't not in a technical industry. You have to retain staff.
0: You mentioned that at a product or project level, you know, strategy is something that, that you could potentially, you know, guide a bit. Um, but obviously, company-wide, that's often got to come from, from top down. Do you try to be a force for that, Charles? You get brought in on a project. Do you try to be a force for tying to strategic value like in in other words they come in they're just talking about measurable it's feeling transactional maybe it's not offensively so but it's feeling like it's a little too transactional do you crack open the conversation around strategy do you try to frame the benefit and value of strategy
1: you try but you get different responses
0: yeah so it depends depends you get a response any wiggle
1: okay look i had a i had a conversation with a big tech company out here in the valley i won't say who but you know big big money company Big company, very famous, very successful, and they bring me in. And they bring me in through. They came to me, right? I didn't come to them. They came through, you know, people I know, in the tech industry, very high level. And they said to me, "We want to know what we don't know." <laughs> that's that's well, a lot. Do <laughs> know what do you want <laughs> <don't> to know? <laughs> you don't know. That's an awful lot. Yeah, I want I, 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 me too. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, what do you want to? Do? And then they like. I tried to talk to them about strategies. Would you want to do things other than strategy? I'm like, guys, um, what do you want to do? Well, we don't know what we want to do. Okay. Where do you go from there? Right? You know, I'm gonna go try to have dinner with them again this week, you know, the end of the week, and talk to them again. But guys, I mean, they don't want to open up, right? They don't they don't want you to do the strategy, but they don't really know what they want to do. So you're kind of that's a tough sale, right? You know, a lot of consulting is you're inventing the product while you're selling it. That, that's a large product consulting and the consulting business has changed in that customers expect you to go in and to have 90 percent of the project already figured out before they even bring you on. And so you're really inventing the product as you talk to them right you're, in, you're doing the strategy during the sales cycle. That's the strategy. And here's the key. here's the key. they have to think it's their idea. That's, that's it,
0: isn't it? Yeah. We, we talk about inception, right? We, I mean, at, at least in terms inception. of the, the, the report where you, know, you have to know they're, they, have, they have an incentive or a motive why they're interested in AI. They have an idea of what the application is. They have an idea of how it's measured. And if all of that or, or a good deal of that really does need to be checked – you've got to have the conversation while you're selling while you're talking while you're exploring while you're asking about their goals that sort of gets them to settle on a way of measuring a potential application a motive for adopting ai that's actually not going to be terrible in terms of the results they're 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 looking to get in the first place and like you said it has to be it has to be their idea probably the only way you can learn that is just raw experience huh charles i mean just having a lot of those instances happen I I
1: I wish I had my I wish I was like my brother. I sold hot dogs on the street as a high school kid, you know, to get that sales, you know, get them to you know near the football you go out and you know, as kids, you know, you do this kind of stuff. (laughs) Uh, Look, people champion their own ideas. Yep. They don't champion your ideas. Yep. So it's your job to help them frame the idea, as then it's your job to give it to them. That's how they do it. That's so you have to go in and you say, "Look, that's the strategy." So it doesn't occur once you're in. They're not hiring. You know, maybe if you work for McKinsey, you know, or your Harvard Business School, maybe they'll hire you to do strategy. But reality I find is that the strategy is the sales. You're 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 trying to get them to. What is the implication of you not doing AI, right? What's the implication of you not doing this? What is it the need that you have? What kind of payoff can you get? Right? The classic sales structure. But you, you're trying to get them to realize what it is they can do. Most people keep this stuff close to the vest and they're not going to totally open up to you unless you know them.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very well. And look, even if you know them, like, I've had conversations with the senior executives and say, look, do not, you cannot put someone in charge of your AI group who has no experience in AI. That's not going to go well. It goes, well, this guy has 10 years of experience, 20 years of his experience in IT, and he's a famous software guy. Okay. Okay. Come back to me six months later, the AI group is a disaster. Oh, really? You know, because you don't know what's going on. You know, you're learning on the job. Okay. You can learn on the job. That's fine. But, In the end, there's still, at the end of the year, there's still metrics and bonuses and people have performance reviews. And if you didn't learn it all by the end of the year, you know, this stuff's hard to learn. So, you know, strategically, there are lots of decisions that have to be made. It's not only just about the products that you're going to build, but it's about who's going to lead the teams, what kind of people you're going to hire, what kind of metrics you're going to do, all these things. And, you know, you're trying to help them come to this. You, You try to help them. And they're going to do some stuff. They're going to agree with you on, and sometimes they won't. But in the end, it's, it has to be their decision because they're the, they have to be. You have to have someone in the organization who is your champion. And 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 and, and as a consultant, that's hap- you're trying to find that person. You're trying to give them the tools so they can be the champion. Yep, that's your strategy. Say it. that's that's when it happens. It happens. Ninety percent of it happens before the contract is signed. I
0: think that is an apt note to end on here for the folks who are tuned in. Again, in, in the generating AI report, we, we talk about talk about the idea of inception, not in a manipulative sense, but like you said, people champion their own ideas. If you're going to tie to strategic value, it's got to be from them. And like you said, if we're if we're not tied to anything other than the short term transactional, we're going to have failed projects. So hopefully, some of the points for for those of you listening in around moving to things outside of the transaction realm in terms of learning and strategy are going to be useful and helpful. Charles, I know you've got tremendous amount of experience in this space. So I think these lessons are going to sink in well for the listeners at home. Thanks again for joining us on the show as always, my man.
1: It's always a pleasure. Thank you again.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Big thank you to Charles for joining us again on the show. Charles has tremendous experience working with firms like BlackRock and eBay and some great hands-on ML projects that I think lend a lot of credence to his insights. So I'm always glad to have him here. And I'm glad that you are here listening all the way through to the end of this episode. That means a lot to me, and I'm, I'm glad that we're able to keep your attention and keep you with us. And I hope you'll stick with us next Tuesday for our next Use Case episode. If you want to make sure that you don't miss any of our interviews, or our use cases or trends that we cover here on the show or at Emerge, then you can go to Emerge.com, just the main homepage there. Up at the top right is subscribe, and you can sign up to the newsletter for free and get all of our latest updates directly to your inbox. That includes our interviews, that includes our articles, and some of our best of infographics as well. So that's emerj.com to sign up for the newsletter. Push comes to shove, though. I know I'm gonna be catching you here on Tuesday. So I look forward to seeing you then for another episode of the AI and Business Podcast.